You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is Ben Chasney of Six Organs of Admittance. Hey, Ben. Hello. Thanks for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Very excited to talk to you, talk about your history in making sound, whether it is incredible acoustic guitar, incredible electric noise guitar, and incredible ambient music, which is part of the impetus of why we're having you on today, because your new album Sleep Tones on VDSQ is, as of this recording, definitely out, but certainly available to order now directly from VDSQ. And it is a great full-on ambient record. And I know that it was something that you had done a little bit ago and made available on Bandcamp, but now the physical is available. So I'd like to get started with this album because it is very unique in the discography and especially this far in. So why don't you give us a, some background about the record, why it was recorded and how it was recorded? Because I know it is an interesting story about why you did this record. Yeah. It, I mean, it kind of sounds like a fake story, but I really did have insomnia. So I really did do it for myself originally. And I remember kind of trying to find sleep music online and this and that. And, and, and everything either had a chord progression or too fancy or too new age or not new age. Everything, nothing worked. So I just started um, doing it myself during a certain out of insomnia really and then yeah that's how it started and then i think it was the first the very first um it was just for myself and then the very first Bandcamp friday i just threw it up not really thinking about it and seemed to resonate with folks who also couldn't sleep at that time because it was the very first like uh, you know march 2020 i guess so that's how it started and what exactly are you utilizing on this record for the recording I'm doing a lot of just internal stuff. I don't have a lot of, um, some of it was some external like keyboards and stuff, but a lot of it's just internal keyboards in the computer and stuff. Um, so, and loops and slowing stuff down and some granular stuff, but yeah. And, and was that something you had been working on leading up to this? Is it, is it a new situation for you to be making this expansive synth ambient stuff or is it something you've been building towards i think it always existed but in the background of six organ stuff so there's mm -hmm. usually an acoustic guitar and i'll mix it low and i'll have something come in and out so this was just a, a project where i just put it into the foreground just fully there yeah did it help you sleep yeah. did did it, it did. did you achieve the goal yeah, that's originally what it's for. I mean, I had those recordings for years before I even put them up and that's what I would use them for because things weren't working. And I knew because something would always like get your attention or if there was some kind of sleep mm -hmm. music, they changed to a different chord or something. And then my mind would think, what's that chord or what are, what are they doing there? And so I just wanted to make the most boring like music possible to really go to sleep to without just having sine waves. And one thing I also did is there it's I didn't loop it. so. If it's, it, it's not a loop, it's, it's actually played for 20 minutes and I tried to make things go slower and slower and slower organically through everything. So that was a part of just trying to get my mind to like kind of fall asleep as well. 
a downshift. Do you find that identifying and recognizing like chord changes and the song structure and that sort of stuff? Is that when you're listening to music, is that just innate? Does that just happen? Like, are you dissecting the things you listen to normally or was it mo- mostly a problem or a thing that arose when you were trying to sleep? Your um, mind was mostly kind of empty. Yeah. Mostly when I try to sleep. I mean, I wish I could say that I could even recognize what a note was if somebody played it like that's a G, but I actually can't. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what that is. So I don't, I don't really have the problem of being, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so musical. I can't, all these, all these musical ideas are running through my mind. I wasn't really like that. I just, I just wanted something as boring as possible to, to really put myself to sleep, you know? Yeah. It's like those sounds of the rainforest when it would be really like rainy and nice and you'd almost be asleep. And then something would be like, ah! and <laughs> exactly. you'd hear a bird or a monkey and it would just like wake you up immediately. So yeah. yes. Yes, exactly. And, exactly. And this certainly is very, very soothing. And, you know, I, I, forget that it's the physical copy hasn't come out because I've heard it so many times because it is perfect at those moments where you need to wind your brain down. Yes. We, you know, have an inside track. So we have had that record for a oh, right. bit now but it is now now out well, i was on gonna the street. pretend we just heard it on Bandcamp. <laughs> now so. out on the street <laughs> for everyone to pick up but but so but what is interesting though is because your idea was having it to help sleep help insomnia being digital and and one long thing would make sense but now it is on a double lp so in order to change it up a little bit each side ends in a lot group was that your idea or was that yeah. steve's idea i think it was steve's idea i can't i, I i'm gonna give him credit because i don't want to be one of those people who sometimes they're asked whose idea and they're like i can't remember it might have been me and it definitely wasn't <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know yeah so i'm gonna give credit to steve i'm pretty sure steve came up with that awesome. idea yeah Awesome. It's fantastic. Well, let's I get love crazy. That. And yes, and let's for everyone listening, uh, Ben has been saying how boring it is. It is mm-hmm. not boring. It is a fantastic record, certainly in the top of the year for us. So highly recommend everyone make sure to pick that up now. And and yeah, it's the it is the it is the absolute newest thing. Is it is it the the um you you are also working on another Six Organs record that will be out imminently as well, or is that record already done? Um, that record's done. There's three. There are three records that are done that are just waiting for next year. They're they're kind of in gotcha. line. So I'm not really sure what to do now because usually I don't. If I started working on something, it wouldn't come out till 2025, probably right, right, or something. Right. Or so I'm yeah, I'm in a weird space. But yeah, yeah, I've got some stuff ready for next year. Awesome. And as we're recording this, you will be playing a show in LA in a couple of days as this is out. It'll have already happened. So, Hey, amazing show. It was fantastic. Uh, everyone awesome. was great. Wow. I couldn't believe it, it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe but, how bad I fucked up on yeah, almost all those oh, parts, man. but yeah, yeah that was really embarrassing, dude. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, but what are you planning on doing for this live set? Well, I was just going to play a normal six organ set. And because I think Steve was going to pull some, maybe do a installation type of thing, but now he's not. So I might do some sort of, I might do, might figure out a way to kind of play these sounds a little bit and then oh, cool. maybe, maybe for like half the set and then switch over. I don't, it's hard playing music specifically for people to fall asleep 
as you know, it's usually the opposite of what you want to happen generally, but it'll, <laughs> in a live show, it'll, it'll be great. Everyone just out, like you ending, you just hear snores and everyone's just yeah. out like yeah, yeah, heads exactly. on the tables. Like, yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's like, it, that would be like the equivalent of a standing ovation at a sleep tone <laughs> yeah. show. Snoring. It would be an actual asleep <laughs> ovation. That exactly. reminds me, we were talking about Wendy and Carl the other day. And I remember people would bring sleeping bags and pillows to Wendy and Carl shows to like lay down and zone out while they played. Yeah. Snor- <laughs> snorecore. It's awesome. <laughs> I am into it. Well, from the newest thing, heading all the way back into the distant past. Now, the other day I was with Steve, Steve being the head of VDSQ, in case anyone was unsure who we were discussing there, or one of our great friends, past guest, one of the greats, Steve Lowenthal. And I was hanging out with him and he pulled out a record from 1997 by a band called Plague Lounge. Yes. Yep. It's going back. Is that your very first project? That is the first project that was on vinyl. I, okay. I, I was in bands before that, different bands, but that was, that would probably, you know, in high school and stuff, but that was, that was that's the first thing that was on vinyl. And you, and you're Northern California, right? That's where you're, Humboldt. that's where you've always been from? Humboldt County. Yeah. And I moved away in, um, 2000 and then I moved back maybe two years ago. Uh, cool. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that, oh yeah. Right. Cause I, that see, that's what I, I didn't realize that it had been only about two years that you're back in California. Maybe three, maybe yeah, it's hard yeah. to tell with this time, but yeah. Okay. I moved back yeah, in 2019. Exactly. Oh, it's four, three or four, right, three or right. four years. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. So so 97, you're, you're, you got your first record out. What, where are you at musically at that time? What were you checking out? What led to putting out that, that record? Just what is your early history in getting into music? Um, that, that record was, it was, it was myself and drummer Bandon and a bass player named Brian, and we were all pretty tight and, Listening to a lot of music, um, Brian had moved up from Merced and sort of introduced us to a lot of more underground sounds that I think me and Bannon really soaked up immediately and we just started playing music together and kind of, at that time, I feel like I was metabolizing sounds a lot faster. You know, you hear something, you're like, I want to do that. And you think of how to do it. And then you kind of become that band. And you're like a month later, no, I'm kind of doing that now being, you know, 19 or 20 or whatever. So, so that's kind of how that, that band was. Did you tour with that band? How did that work? Oh, Deerhoof came up and we opened up for Deerhoof. And then um, back when they were very Carolina Rainbow-esque, like the very totally, early yeah. days, um, yeah. Rob Fisk was still in the band. We really hit it off with Rob as a friend. And we actually, we started this band Badger Lore before even Six Organs. Um, me and Rob, Rob came and moved here, but that's what happened. I sent, and then I sent the... Um, sent Rob the cassette and he handed it over to John Whitson at Holy Mountain and John Allen over at New World of Sound as well. So, and then those guys decided to put out the record. Oh, hell yeah. And yeah, that's uh, thinking about, you know, when I first became aware of Six Organs and we were going back and forth and Hair Police played with Six Organs in 2001 or two at the DeSteel Fest, when it was, you know, DeSteel and Freedom From in Minneapolis were working together. And we were just thinking about that time, 
the late 90s, the early 2000s, when there was this coalescing of, from the, you know, lack of a better term, the noise and noise rock type stuff with, you know, the blown out drums and, and blown out guitar, stuff like Carolina, and then the you know, droney folk type stuff, and then Twisted Village and, and Freedom From. There was this really cool, strange time where, again, lines weren't really drawn. It was a lot of different bands could be playing together. And I think of Six Organs in that time is really when you were, you know, obviously really getting going and and crossing those lines, playing sh playing noise shows, playing rock shows, playing folk shows. And, you know, that I feel like that the Steelfest thing, a lot of things came together at that one. And that was that was a, a pretty wild, wild night, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that was a great night. Um, yeah, in a way that Distillfest was, yeah, it almost, oh, it's the end of an era. No, I don't mean that, <laughs> yeah, I don't right? mean that I mean, way. I'm just turning bit, yeah, into, yeah. but it seems like at that point, things started to splinter more, yes. you know, after that. And there's, I'm sure there's many theories. I'd like to throw one theory into it is that it seemed like the, the coast started to separate just a little more. You started to have more of um, maybe like... West Coast started to maybe get more, try to grab onto the folkier aspect of stuff and do that. And then um, No Fun Fest, East Coast started to pull the noisier stuff. And I feel like the yep. scene started to separate a little more. And then and then things just do just sort of happen. And then Six Organs might go on tour with maybe more of a folky person than a noisier person. But whenever I would play a show, if, if the promoter, like, what kind of music do you want? to be in the show, I would always say I would much prefer something loud than acoustic. I'm already, if I'm playing acoustic guitar, I, you know, no, we don't need any more. Let's bring something right. else in or something, you know? So I would always suggest that, but that did, did seem to be like right after that festival, things kind of, yeah, came, became a little more codified. It seemed. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say that's true. And around that time, who were your main people you were working with in contact with, uh, you know, sort of you, who, who did you consider to be your crew for lack of a better term around that late nineties, early two thousands around that, that time where we would have played together. It's funny. I didn't, nobody on the West coast. So I was doing music out here and whether it was in Humboldt County or when I moved down to Santa Cruz, um, doing music there, but I always thought my crew were, were the East coast people like, like, uh, Josh Burkett and Matt Valentine, as far as that folkier aspect of stuff right. goes, um, nobody was really doing that on the West coast. And I related more to that, to that sort of scene. And then once you go out there, I mean, there's some, you know, Flaherty and Corsano and all sorts of music happening. And then I always felt much more part of like the Western Massachusetts scene, than any California scene at the time. And, um, which is why I ended up probably moving out there for about seven years, a while ago, um, before I moved back here. So yeah, I always felt like the Western mass scene was more my home. And you, you did and, and, you know, did tour very heavily and, and it was something a part of, of six organs and other projects. You, you, you know, played a lot when did you first when did you first start touring and was the being on the west coast was that trip out to the east coast you know what was it how did you how did you work that that 
touring schedule? I mean, were you doing the, were you doing weird shows in the middle of the country? Like the, you know, before you get to the Midwest or were you heading right to the East coast and then sort of doing it that way? Uh, yeah, the first, the first six organs, big full tour was about six weeks all over the U S and that was, I was working at a record store in Santa Cruz streetlight. Shout out to Streetlight, Santa Cruz, great record store. Really, if you go to Street, they have them anyway. So, um, yeah, <laughs> they were, yeah, I was, that was, a, it's a great record store that I worked at. But still I, open? I, yeah, they're still open. So, there you go. Nice. Cool. And then, yeah, I just, I quit my job to go on this six week tour. And that was just, then you just have to keep moving and moving and moving and doing stuff. At the same time, Comet started touring more. So it was just kind of, yeah. So luckily everything was just really going a lot at the time, but that was the first tour. And then of course, meeting a lot of people, um, on that tour. So that was really cool. And just really just never ended after that. Kind of. No, no. Just kind of had to keep moving, <laughs> you know? Yeah. When did you join Comets? Joined Comets when I moved down to Santa Cruz. And so that would probably 2004 maybe or so it was after their first yeah. record. I would play with them sometimes and then, and then maybe around 2005, I officially joined. That's awesome. Yeah. We were talking about Noel before yeah. the, the mm -hmm. episode and you know, that, that would be your, your teaming up with Noel would, will produce a great noise record and uh, the, the book of revelations record, which is a fantastic, sick, just full on noise record. Actually, Gray, you said you have the tape. I do. I do. Have, oh, that's right. I do have the cassette. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, go cool. Heck, That's awesome. Heck. Yeah. And, and it is a sick record. So how did you guys, uh, how did that record come about uh, with Noel? Uh, well, let's see. So yeah, I met Noel when I moved down to Santa Cruz and Comets was already going and in Comets, Noel and I were the guys who probably listened to more out music, more in right. ways. And, um, so it, we just wanted to yeah, do a record together. It really came about because this guy, Bill Skibby, who does a studio in Benton Harbor, Michigan, built me a, a, an amazing guitar pedal. And so I wanted to put that into action and fully unadulterated, just that pedal with all the things it could do. So yeah, Noel just had his, his gear. So we, yeah, that's kind of, that's one of the main reasons why we did that record. Bill runs a key club, right? That's his studio. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. What was that guitar pedal and, and what, what was, what was so, so rad about it? I, you know, that's, what's cool. He didn't label anything on it and everything was connected to another thing and some weird algorithm. So if you move this knob, it did this knob, but then if you move that knob, it affected that knob, which affected that <laughs> knob. And he didn't tell me what anything was. So one of them kind of had uh, some kind of arpeggio on it. Like you could hit a note and you'd get some crazy arpeggios. One of them, there was a lot of fuzz and a lot of noise built into it, but just, yeah, a lot of feedback in the way things and nothing was labeled. He just handed it over to me. So that's, that's one of the reasons why. Uh, we did that record because I just love that pedal so much. It was just a really great noisemaker. It's a mysterious chaos. And you said Noel had his gear. We're talking, of course, I don't know if we mentioned Noel Von Harmonson, right? And uh, his, I mean, from seeing Comets, his gear was like an oscillator and some sort of like tape delay. And I, I could never figure out what the hell he was doing. Yeah, he had this, Noel would have a huge stack of electronics, but it was very old and... Essentially, I think it was just one oscillate. I don't really know either. It was just this big knob, but it looked insane. But I think it just went <laughs> like that's. But then he kind of had to go through a couple effects, and then he would run Ethan's vocals through an Echoplex. So he was in charge of that. 
All right. And um, yeah, that's kind of what, and I, I'm sure he would be, I'm, if he listens, he's going to be super pissed. He'd be like, no, dude, I had this and I had that. But I swear <laughs> I'd look over that. I just saw a big knob that he would turn. <laughs> I was like, cool. That sounds great. That's all right. We're just trying to piss off, you know, Steve. No, we're, we're going to we'll, we'll go down the line and really, you know, yeah. like, nice. really that's what I'm here for. Yeah. 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 Everyone off. So, so when did six organs actually start? And when did you decide that this was going to be your main outlet? That what happened was that Ben Plague Lounge I was in, we kind of broke up, people moved away and I just didn't want to be, I just didn't want to have anybody else, um, sort of have control over what I was doing. So I was like, I'm just going to do solo stuff. At the same time, I was getting into acid folk and that stuff. So I just thought I would do that. That'd be around the first, that record came out in 98. Actually, a really encouraging person was Russ Waterhouse, um, who oh, yeah. he was white very, tapes. we were friends at the time. Yeah. doing He was doing white tapes at the time. And just like, I had made a cassette tape and sent it to a few people. And Russ was very encouraging and said, I should put it out myself on vinyl and just do the whole thing. So that's, that's, then that's when I just started doing stuff myself. And uh, yeah, but Russ was really encouraging. So probably wouldn't have done six organs if it wasn't for Russ. Oh, that's really cool. And yeah, so those, those early ones are self-released and six organs does, there's so many different areas that, that you go into how did you, how do you decide what a record's going to be and with the style the record's going to be? And once you decide that, do you stick with that or does it show itself as you're making a record? I mean, I always use this analogy because my, my dad's an auto mechanic. So I always think of it as, I always kind of describe it as sort of when you change a tire, how you don't put the lug nuts on in a row. You have to go here, then you go here, you here, here in order for it to be steady. And I think that's sort of how I've always done the six organs record. So if, if a certain sounds over here, I kind of have to go across and do something not opposite, you know, but not exactly in a linear fashion going around. And then I got to kind of go across the axle and go across the axle. And I just keep doing that over and over again. So it, yeah, generally, I generally don't do, try to do two records that kind of sound similar. Although I recently got a re review. Somebody said like, oh, he never does the same record twice. And then what I wanted to do was just do the same exact record, but just change the guitar solos. And then I was thinking about doing that. So I was like, really? You tell me but I don't yeah, do the same record twice. I'll show you. I guess that is the key. I'm very ornery and, you know, contrarian. So that's, that's probably the main key. <laughs> that's awesome. And is there of those early records, is there one that you felt that, oh, that you really came into what you think of as six organs or did it take time? Did, was it, you know, was it dark noontide? Was it, was there a record that you really felt that, oh, I'm, I, I think I, I've sort of fi am figuring this out now. Maybe, yeah, maybe dark noontide. I mean, it always seemed like, well, when I, I would do one record, and then there'd kind of be a song on that record and I would, you know, think, oh, that's something maybe I could, this is exactly the opposite of what I just said, but I would think maybe yeah, I can course. extrapolate yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. I'm contrarian. So, yeah. and then, <laughs> so, and so I was kind of doing that, but yeah, probably Dark Noontide, I would say that was where um, a lot of my own influence started to coalesce into the sort of sound that I was thinking of. Yeah. I was listening to a lot of 
like mostly listening to noise at the time when that came out. And I, that record completely like took me by surprise and I think changed a lot of what I was listening to or opened me up to like branching out of what I was kind of stuck in a rut focusing on. And I, I also, uh, hopefully you don't remember, but I do that. I drunkenly professed my love of that record to you many years ago. <laughs> It made me laugh. Um, (laughs) That's very sweet. I, um, thanks. I mean, I was, I was super into Organum, David Jackman. That's where a Mm -hmm. lot of those drones came from. And the idea of recording in tunnels and stuff. And I didn't really know what I was doing at all, but when it was done, I I was like, this maybe six organs will kind of start to go that way, you know? So. Hell yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So you were listening to David Jackman around that time. What, as far as that world of stuff, how did you start discovering the, the uh, you know, more the noise, industrial, ambient, you know, or early stuff like that? Where did, where, when did that come into your life? And what were some of the other things that really hit you at that time? In high school, I was definitely more on the goth industrial side anyway. Oh, yeah? So, yeah. And then um, when... Later, when I started to hear more underground music, that was also that, I mean, you know, Skinny Puppy or something in, in high school. Oh, yeah. And then when I would listen to, oh, you mean there's there's kind of an underground side of that, which was also very appealing. Um, that, the Organum stuff, I was really turned on to by my friend Ryan Hildebrand, who was also on the Dark Noontide record. He was a friend. And we just became friends. He just wrote, I used to have my address on those early records and he just wrote letters and then just pen pal style. We just started to talk. And then he did a lot of the drones on the dark noon Ted. We would work together. And so he turned me on to like Organum and that stuff. So I've always been lucky that I've always had somebody around me who could turn me on to really good music. You know, I just, I'd like being turned on in different stuff. So he was turning me on to all this stuff. So that, that, that's kind of how that, started to seep into the dark noontide record. And so you were, when you were younger is stuff like skinny puppy ministry. That was, that was oh, sort yeah. of your, your, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Ministry. I love, I, I yeah, love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I swear I was listening to, there's some song on land of rape and honey and I was listening to the drums um, just last week. And uh, I was like, wow, this really sounds like skull flower. Like there's a, there's a certain <laughs> yeah, production yeah, yeah. of the mm-hmm. drums. I was like, what is that drum production? You know, where years later I would listen to Skullflower, but I never made the connection. And then the other day, you know, I was, I, that song came on. And I was like, wow, I never made that connection before. That's crazy. Oh, uh, that's so sick. Yeah, no, dude, we still, we still listened to, we had, we had a, I had a, we had a six skinny puppy zone a few weeks ago. They just announced our last shows. So we oh, were, wow. you know, just sort yeah. of in the zone. Did you, I, did and you, Twitch, I mean. Oh yeah. Ministry yeah. Twitch. Like, yeah, yeah, we yeah. listened to that <laughs> all the yeah. time. Oh, yeah. uh, R100 was the drum machine used on a lot of that stuff. And it has that really chunky sound to it. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. So that was the drum machine that they were kind of using at the time. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. I think did they you, would also you, have some live drums or like, you know, especially live, they would, they would have live drumming and stuff. But yeah. I think yeah. on the studio, you can definitely hear the like weird sample digital drum machine sounds that are just, they're awesome. Yeah. That sounds so good. Did you see any of those bands live? What were some of your first live experiences? No, I mean, well, I grew up in Humboldt County. So the, the closest big city, San Francisco is about a six hour drive. And a lot of people don't. Right. Come. It's, that's the thing yeah. is like, it's so much farther. Even I still forget like yeah. how 
far that is from anything. I think yeah. Humboldt County, I think dairy farms, like, you yeah. know, like Cypress Grove, like farm. Oh, you know Cypress country. Grove? Well, oh, I love that place. Uh, yeah. I live, the town that I live in, McKinleyville, that's where they're, all their goats are here. That's where they are. But they're anyway, so not to do an advertisement for Cypress Grove, but yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's what most people. Yeah, yeah. Shut um, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we are, yeah, we're pretty far away. Like I'll have friends play in San Francisco. I'm like, you should come to the show. I'll be like, dude, you're six hours away. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, I will. <laughs> so I will. People but hit just us so up you know. Like, we're, yeah, we're in San Francisco. Dude, yeah, we're in LA. Yeah, That's we're like, super yeah, far yeah, away yeah, from yeah, you. I'll just tell my friends in Vegas to come to the gig. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so or, you were pretty separated from from any big city, but did you make a trek to go see anything? Yeah, we would go, if there was a show, go down and see, um, you know, often drive down and see a show and then drive back um, that night, maybe, you know, do like a 24 hour trip, see like Jesus lizard or something or uh, oh, cool. stuff yeah. like that. So it was, I never had caught any of the big industrial bands, but that was sort of, if you want to see, and a lot of the bands that came up here would be more on like East Bay punk kind of stuff came up, which is uh -huh. what like was the high school stuff as well. But none of the industrial guys ever came up. Neurosis came up once. So that was cool. Yeah. That was kind of the scene with music. So you were pretty separated. So, and this is what, so early nineties, you're in high school. Yeah. Or, I graduated. Yeah. 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 Early, early nineties. So when, so in high school, what was your avenue to discover stuff when you're so separated? It's, it's the nineties. Is it, is it zines? Is it magazines? Is it radio? Was there like a cool college radio was, show? Yeah. There was KHSU. They would play, they had a couple stations. So you would hear stuff on there. And then, but yeah, very, very isolated, very isolated up here um, for learning about new music. I mean, there was a, there was a record store here um, that there's a couple of record stores, but not really, not a whole lot of stuff. It's kind of, in a way, it's sort of how I got into folk music and acoustic guitar, because that ended up being very underground, you know, in, in 1990 or something, going in and finding the $3 records that were, and having a really cool um, guy worked at the record store, turning you on to stuff. I'm like, I'm kind of into this. And they would turn you into obscure folk records. And then that's how I kind of got, because it was, there were more obscure folk records up here than weird um, music, I guess. So that was sort of how that, that sort of turn happened as well. Do you recall any specific ones that you just remember? Oh my God, this is just, just, just a hammer. Like just one that has st and stayed with you till it's to a hammer day. dulcimer. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish. I mean, at the time, yeah, there was this guy Ron, and he would he kind of knew what I liked. I mean, you know, back cool record store guys, you know, like oh, I heard yeah. you like this. Mm -hmm. Well, you should really check out this, you know, like oh, you like you know, you like John Fahey, you should really check out this weird private press thing that just came in and like, <laughs> yeah. wow, that's crazy. <laughs> it was kind of like that. And then all the records were three bucks. So it was, you know, it was really nice. Different, different times. Ooh, that's a different time. When did you start discovering stuff? You know, we, you actually, you mentioned Carolina, you mentioned playing with Deerhoof. When did you start becoming aware of this, you know, pretty out scene going on it that you know in california in you know san francisco stuff like carolina when did that come across your path that would probably be we started taking trips to amoeba in berkeley and going there and then you just see the section of stuff you've never seen in your life and you just you know you take a chance so that would actually be the first time i ever heard of carolina was just seeing the carolina section 
You're like, what the fuck is this? You know, I'm going to buy one of these, you know, this looks insane. <laughs> so, and, um, yeah, it was that. And then, and then I think part of the, you know, part of the way to more underground music was in that band Plague Lounge that I was in, uh, the bass player, Brian, he was from Merced and he moved up and he, he was a pretty hip dude. And so he was like, have you heard Dead Sea? Have you heard this? So it took somebody to kind of move to the area from outside of the area. It was like, you should check out this magazine, Forced Exposure. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And then just ordering. And then it was just ordering stuff. And it was just finding Ajax and all the all the great mail order places. And then that's how we would just, me and the friends would just bring stuff in. So it's like subterranean. You know, oh yeah, that. subterranean. Yeah, well, subterranean, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, John Whitson, who ran Holy Mountain, who put out the Plague Lounge record, he worked at mm-hmm. subterranean. Oh, okay. So when he would also turn us on stuff. So he was a big guy too, because he would make us comp tapes, you know, this, these kids in Humboldt who didn't know much about music and like, Oh my God, what is this? And then when Plague Lounge played our only show in San Francisco, we all went to subterranean after the show, John opened it up and was like, what do you guys want? And you know, it's like definitely kids in a candy shop. Like it was I've really been cool. to that warehouse and yeah. even, even I God, I don't remember how long it's been, maybe like eight years. It's still a kid in a candy shop. There's so much yeah. stuff that, can be dug up under an inch of dust. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it was just, and I've just been lucky to know people who turn me on really good music, you know? You know, you saying you, you saw the Carolina record, saw the section, you're like, oh, I, I want to pick this up. It, 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 when you said that, it just had me think, I, I wonder if that, I wonder how much that still exists in the world in 2023, a kid going to a record store and seeing something that strikes them like that. They have zero yeah. idea about it and they take a chance on it. I, yeah. They I, just stand there on their phone and Google I wonder it. They're how, like, I'm going to look this up law. first. Yeah. What, yeah. But what God, we all experience yeah, that, that you know, and I wonder if that's something that's lost in the modern times. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't, I don't, it was definitely, it's I mean, I'll tell you fun. what, I don't do it anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, I, you know what I mean? Like I would, I would either be like, Oh, if I don't know it, you know, like the, you know, in our, in our old, old fogey days now. Yeah. I probably, I don't know how much I would do that anymore. At you know? the very least mm-hmm. you'd probably text a friend immediately. Like, Hey, do you yes, know yes, this record? Yeah, what the, is this? It looks crazy. hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're at a used record shop and it's cheap, like less than five bucks, that's free. Yeah. Go for it. But, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. if you're dropping some dough, like yeah, yeah, you're going to, yeah. Probably reach out to somebody. Yeah. Also, there's not a lot of records that look like Carolina That's records. That's true. Yeah, right? exactly. They're also still yeah. 20, 30, whatever years later, there's still some of the weirdest records you can oh, put yeah. your hands on in a record store and be like, what the fuck am I looking at? Yeah. Easy yeah. to find in the stacks. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, don't lose your Carolina records. No. Do you remember which record <laughs> it was, Ben, that you bought the first Carolina record? Um, it's uh, Well, the first one I bought was The Box. Okay. I forget which one, what that, that one was called. Is that Rear End Hernia Puppet Show, maybe? I think so, yeah. yeah, you're yeah like, what yeah. is in this box? I can't wait to see yeah. what's in this box. It's garbage. <laughs> it's I mean, garbage. clean garbage, garbage but it's some, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, these guys are nuts. Um, yeah, so it was cool. And then, yeah, I can't remember the names of the records, but I remember. I mean, yeah. yeah. So they're so... Some of the some of the great titles I was like strike them hard, drag them to church. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, what yeah, what what an insane project. And uh yeah, I'm sure you you did you now did you you said you got to see him in the nineties or I mean I'm sure you've seen him no, since No, I've never seen I saw oh, Carolina wow, wow. I saw Carolina once at a festival. So that was it. I okay. just saw them and uh but yeah, they 
they never came up here to play and I never went down there to see them. Yeah. So with six organs in the early two thousands now, and again, one thing about six organs is that you're going to have multiple lineups. You have different people play with you uh, on, on records or live again. Is that just, instinct or just like, okay, this, these guys are going to work for this record. They're going to work for this tour. This one person's going to work for this tour, or I'm just doing this on my own. How thought out is it? And how just, you know, in the moment is it where you decide how, what approach you're going to take for a tour? It's not very thought out. It's usually, it's usually like hanging out with somebody. Hey, you want to go on tour next month? I got to go on tour. You want to go on tour? Let's go. Yeah. Um, it's usually <laughs> like that. Or or maybe if a record's more acoustic or something, I'll go solo. I've been doing more solo stuff, but yeah, it wasn't really planned out. It was usually like who I was hanging out with, especially the early days. It was whoever my friends were at the time. Do you want to play in six organs? Let's go do, you know, I've never played music. I've never been on stage. Great. Let's just, you'll be, you'll be great. You'll have a good time. And that's how it all, that's, that's how all those early shows were like, we played Terrorstock Festival. Um, like a few of the guys had never even been on stage before. And it's like, what, what do I just, okay, bang on this thing. Just bang on this thing. Oh, you see that organ? Just bang on that organ and everything will be fine. And uh, it was some of the best and uh, most fun shows probably. So that's how all the early stuff was for Six Organs for sure. And speaking of not planned out. Speaking of chance. Yes. Uh, <laughs> something that is really cool and and especially in the more later years of six organs is a system that you develop something tara's been bursting at the seams to discuss (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and that would be the hexatic system yes your Mm -hmm. your cards and and system that you developed yes yes i i don't know what got into me when i think back on it I don't know. It was like a weird obsession. And I just started, and then one thing would lead to another thing. And then next thing I knew, like a year later, I had all of these interlocking ideas about how this sort of system would work. Just based a little bit on divinatory systems and just using a normal deck of cards to do stuff. It was a bit difficult when it first came out to explain it because first of all, everyone is cynical as fuck. So the record comes out, but the system doesn't come out and it's like, oh yeah, this is based on, you know, cause Drag City wants to be like, oh, this is based on, they want to sell it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, right. You know, and then the system comes out and it's like, oh, I don't know what's going on here. And there was certain amount of cynicism, but, but there were some people that really picked up on it. So I was very stoked. Like a few people around the world dove into it and they were doing more stuff than I was with the original system and, and doing stuff. So that was really good feedback. And I started doing stuff and, um, it's still, still stuff is still kind of going on today with, with different things with the hexatic system. Well, and well, for anyone who doesn't know exactly what this is, can you explain the hexatic yeah. system and, and, and when it started and, and what the, the record that you started utilizing it on, which is called the hexatic, can you explain the system and how it came together? Yeah, this sounds like bullshit. But I, I'm very aware of when I say how things come about. And it's like, yeah, it's a good press release. Like, no, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, swear. It, I swear to God, it started because I was sort of waking up in that like liminal state. And I had this halfway dream that I was composing with a deck of cards. And I thought, that's interesting. And then the next morning I had the same thing. And then since I had it twice, I was like, I'm going to start working on this. And 
yeah. And again, maybe I'm just a little bitter of all the cynical response. Like, yeah, you know, using those sort of practices, very old. I am aware of this, you know, very cage. I was very influenced by George Brecht and his, he was doing stuff and he took classes from cage, but after he kind of had his own idea about chance operations. So, but he has these notebooks that I really, really love. And so I was kind of influenced by that. So yeah, it's like chance operations stuff. And the biggest thing I got when, and I'm sorry if I'm so defensive, but thank you. Thank you for letting me be, you know, <laughs> yeah. in court and defend myself. The biggest thing I got at the time was like, oh, it's like Eno. And I'd have to say, no, his conceptual, you know, their ideas, there's these conceptual ideas. These are, you use a standard deck of cards you see, you can just go buy a $5 deck of cards at the store. That was my idea that you could buy this tool anywhere. The cards are everywhere. And then the cards correspond to actual notes of, 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 you know, it's kind of based, it's kind of geared for a guitar though. People have done some piano stuff with it. Um, yeah. And then there are ways to array the cards so that you, they kind of form this field of, um, possible notes that you can do. And that's how it works. So there are only possible notes. It doesn't actually compose. It doesn't tell you what you what to play. But there's different ways to set up the cards to give you possible notes that you can play. And you can make the deck. So if you want to play in a more chromatic fashion, you can, or maybe even in a certain key. And so that's the basic part of it. And then there's just all these d different interlocking ways that you can use the cards as even into language systems, um, it, you know, codify things you can use as little, um, of the individual systems or as much as you want. And so that's, that, that's kind of what that's, uh, that's what it's all about. Well, and I think it's such a fantastic way to get out of, um, routines that you mm. may fall into. And, and, and I love that idea because so many times like Mike and Gray and I have discussed this, how you have to make up little rules to get yourself propelled forward. It's like sometimes when you can play anything, uh, it, it's, it's stifling. Yeah. So giving yourself a different set of barriers, like enhances your creativity. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly why I started. It was just to try to kind of do new stuff and you, it doesn't have to be particularly dissonant if you don't want. Um, I did a compilation record where people used it and some people had it more dissonant. It's, it's kind of however you arrange the deck before you decide. So, um, what, so you could make it in a certain key um, or you could have it, like I said, more chromatic. Um, so you can kind of set up your parameters even before you pull cards and have that set of the parameters for what you want to play too. Um, yeah. And then there's a game as well for guitar players that they can play. So if you have your deck set up and you can set it up in a certain key, and then if you have a dealer, you can have, um, you can have the dealers um, deal three cards to one guitar player and they have to decide how they want to finger those th particular three notes, knowing later they're going to have to change position. So it's a little like twister because you have, you might have to like, <laughs> and then the other guitar player, they're dealt three cards but since the deck that you've made is in a certain key, those will be harmonious. So they will start playing a triad and then this, this guitar player is playing a triad. And then, the, and then the dealer will deal a card to the first player and they get to decide what note they want to change. And that's where, you know, you got to say, well, okay, I'm going to change this to that. And you can go back and forth. If you record it, you kind of get, you, you can, you can, you can turn it into something, you know, you can utilize it for composition as well. Um, or you can just have a game. I mean, it's a pretty fun 
I mean, <laughs> depending on your definition of fun, but it's a pretty fun game to play <laughs> if you're having some beers and you're playing guitar. Like I, I've, I've, we've really cracked up before, like playing that game. And then I know people have just taken that aspect and actually just composed with that and done some compositions with it as well. It would take a lot of beers to get a guitar in my hands. <laughs> well, you could, you, I think you could do it with a with a synth would be awesome. Yeah, oh, yeah, you could I mean, do it with you the could synth do it with anything. Sure. I think really, right. like my uh, my I, friend Phil Lagarde, he he has written out this little thing of how to transpose it from guitar to piano, actually to keyboard. Okay, because he's a keyboardist and he has done a lot of work with it and. Um, um, yeah, and all on piano and keyboards and organ and stuff too. So, were you using other systems, other card systems? Like, were you using oblique strategies, the Eno and Peter Schmidt cards, or were you using anything else in those lines before you started doing the Hexotic? I'm stuff? trying to think. I was not using though. I was not using um, oblique strategies. I can't remember really why I even started this. The whole the whole thing was really bizarre. I just suddenly had this idea and I was just obsessed with this for like a year. And then one thing would lead to another thing like, Oh, I think it's done, but Oh, what about that? Or what about this idea? Or what about if I use like, um, Agrippa's square of the sun, which, uh, you know, what if I use that as a language machine, you know, well, what does that happen? So there's a lot of experimentation trying to figure out how to do this to that. And then everything just ended up sort of interconnecting. Well, and I, I like the approach in, in that it makes music theory more applicable and, and, and fun and creative because hmm. there's, you can get really bogged down in dreary places, uh, in, in dealing in music theory at times. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I just like this creative approach to a mathematical problem, let's well, say. Thanks. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's not quite anti-theory, but I do know some music people who have sort of and I'm like, oh, can I see that book? And then you're like, yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. This is not music theory because it's definitely more <laughs> in a realm of Fluxus fucking yeah. shit up. You know, it's <laughs> definitely more of Fluxus project or post Fluxus or whatever than actual music theory. And, but even though you can kind of move it as you want, you know, um, but yeah, I've been pretty happy. Um, recently this year, uh, I found out that the new Conate record, um, O'Malley was doing an interview and he said that he used the hexatic system for the original compositions of it, or not, I wouldn't say compositions, but it kind of sets up these fields. I don't know how far he, he really got into it. I know that I'm not in any way taking credit for that record, but it was very cool to see even now, so many years later in an interview he did for Quietus, he mentioned like using it um, at the beginning to set up the to tonal fields and stuff. So I was pretty stoked. Well, and there's so many things I'm excited about, about this. And, and just to right before we recorded, I, I wanted to get in the spirit of pulling cards because, you know, for years, if Mike and I are trying to like make a decision, like, you know, who's going to do the dishes, what, what are we going to go to this thing? You know, we'll pull a playing card. Like I love yeah. using de- pulling playing cards, divinatory playing cards, letting the cards decide, you know, so you can kind of get the accountability out of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So prior to this interview, I was like, I'm going to pull tarot cards to see what I should know prior to discussing, prior to talking to you. Uh, so I, I pulled three and I pulled the Knight of Cups reversed, then the, uh, the Empress and then the Hermit. And it made me laugh a lot when when we've had this discussion because because again the the knight of cups reverse is the contrarian right mm, uh mm-hmm. so so then you have your empress which is you know the veil 
which is that uncertainty, the veil of esoterica, and then the hermit, which seems to be a theme like running through your life. Even I read an interview where you were talking about the six organs of admittance moniker comes from a a hermit of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So I don't know. I I love the synchronicity of that. Yes. Uh, and and I think it was spot on and um what a what a lovely spread to describe yeah. you know the conversation that we've gone through. That is awesome. That's so cool. Yes. So the hexatic system is the the rule of six, right? The guitar string stupidly mm-hmm. has six strings, which I think is too many. I like the banjo. It's got four, keep right. it simple. Uh but but that also goes back to such ancient times like Babylonian systems, you know, that were numerical systems based on 60. That's where we get, you know, 12 hours in a day, 20 or sorry, 24 hours in a day. That's where we get the 60 minute hour, all mm. of those things. So the the system of six is a very sacred and ancient number. Yeah, it's base 60. So that's why we have those, you know, if you're ever like, God, why 60 seconds, that doesn't make any sense. But their whole numeric system, because um, 60 is so easily divisible by so many numbers, like 3, 4, 12, 36. Right. That's why they have all this. So again, it did affect our, our the hours in the day, the uh, seconds in the minute, all, all of those things. Minutes right. in the hour. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, that's there's a way in the system that there's a particular way to set up the cards that you, you, you do decide where to start based upon the, the minute and the hour of the day as well. So mm-hmm. it does, it, I, I could just with working it very easily fit into that sort of system, but yeah, it's cool. Actually looking at the, the way the cards were laid out, it, it made me think of again, like Babylonian numbers. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's great. Um, yeah. 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 I don't, it's cool. Thanks for talking about it. Sometimes I haven't talked about it in a while. So, cause, um, but yeah, that's cool. I love synchronicity and, and, you know, even looking at the cards, I was, I was very excited when you were talking about, you know, being near Berkeley and then you have, um, one of the cards references Leonora Carrington, mm. which one of the first times I was out alone in Los Angeles, when we moved here, I just started chatting with a stranger and she was from Berkeley and she was the primary um, Leonora Carrington scholar that that was there. Her name was Gloria. And so I I would run into her sporadically in Los Angeles, just so strangely having these weird synchronicities with her talking about Leonora Carrington. Yeah. Uh, And then after I met her, I had this dream about a moth, uh, like basically after our dog had died taking our dog off into the ether. And then after that, it gave me a sense of release. Like until then I still felt sad. And then when I knew that the moth took her away, I was all better. And then you have a moth that's a symbol of death in your card, which is not a traditional symbol of death. Yeah. That's really strange. So there were so many synchronicities. Like the more I was reading, I was like, oh, I'm so into this. You hit hit Tara hard with with this system. Again, I I hear (laughs) you talking about your naysayers and, you know, I just appreciate your willingness to use the subconscious mind because I think that so many times people aren't in touch with their subconscious or they they won't, you know, let, let go of that control. Yeah. And sometimes you lose some of the satisfaction of just letting something flow through you. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's not, I, it's funny because I go through periods of even wanting to work with it. And I think after a while, sometimes I can't do it too much either because I want to mm -hmm. regain control. You know, after a while it's, it's just too much, you know? So I have, I, I'm kind of doing some new stuff with it, but it's been a while, you know? Yeah. It's weird. So Drag City's published the book of the Hexotic System, and also you say you can use any deck of playing cards, but they've also done a deck of playing cards yeah. with artwork related to the system. I have to give really a lot of credit to Drag City for even wanting to make this book to tell them, would you guys print this book that I wanted to look, I wanted to look nice. And it, well, what's it about? It's like, oh, it's an explained It's like, who the fuck is going to even care about that, Ben? But you know, it's like, yeah, I know you guys have some artists on the label that sell. Come on. You can put the funds in put the funds into a crazy ass book. And I guess they're like, yeah, let's do it. They've never, they've always there. I'm really lucky. They've always been super supportive over everything. They're like, let's do it. And I'm like, what about, also a deck of cards. Yeah, let's do it. So it's cool. Although, yeah, yeah. It's, so for the most part, yeah. And then they helped design all of it. So awesome. they've been very supportive of it. It's very cool. You also have a, a webpage on your website, Six Organs, which outlines some uh, like related and inspirational material. And oh, yeah. one of the things on here that, I, that I've been chopping at the bit to ask about is uh, Workmeister Harmonies and, yeah. and Bellatar's work. How does that influence the Hexotic system? Or how is that related? Well, that's interesting. Um, that particular movie, although he says it's not about anything, as he said, oh, it's not about anything. Obviously, there's there are a lot of paths to go down with that movie, but one is tuning systems. Uh, how that comes in hexagonal system can only work with um, equal temperament because e every note is the exact same weight and every note can work with every other note. And that's how you can have a combinatorial system with all notes. If you have just intonation, then you can only have your first interval work with your fifth interval. That's very, but once you start throwing another interval in with a particular mathematical ratio, then it sounds like shit. And that's why they, that's why equal temperament came about. So I think that I was trying to kind of tie in my mind. That's what I don't, you know, that's kind of what I was thinking. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I've been working a lot with just a Casio SK one sampler lately and thinking of equal temperament and like, because it takes a loop, you know, if you play an octave, you can have the, the one version of the loop playing at, at one speed. And then the next octave up is playing at twice the speed. So they still perfectly line up and layer over each other. They're not, there's no like slippage in the loop. Right. Right. And so I, I don't often think about uh, just intonation in terms of how I would accomplish that. Cause I don't, I don't have to, it's just, you know, the, it's an SK one. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not I can't retune it, but uh, I've definitely been like playing with the idea of, of equal temperament and frequency more just because of that and seeing how things might line up mathematically with that. Right. So I'll have right. to take a look at the hexotic system. It is. Um, yeah, there's not, yeah, the hexag, I mean, this, these are things that were going in my mind when I was doing a hexag system about that it could kind of only work if every note had an equal amount of, an equal weight to it. So I started thinking about that stuff a little more. Okay, because, you know, sometimes you get possessed by these ideas and these things that you want to play out. When you were doing hexatic system, how was the sleep? Was it preventing sleep or was the sleep happening more because you felt satisfied in the work that you were getting out? Oh, that's a good question because especially compared to later when I had insomnia, mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't really have insomnia when I was working with the hexatic system. So maybe it was able to kind of, yeah, 
Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that. Getting that through the bursting the dam and, and getting through all that energy. I, I think it's so fascinating the things that we unknowingly accomplish in our dreams, like even, you know, getting so motivated by something creatively just because, you know, you had a good night's sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Or a poor night's sleep. <laughs> yeah. Either way, something yeah, the good Either or way. The bad. <laughs> Going back to a few a little few years before the Hexotic System, one of my favorite Six Organs records is Luminous Night. I think it's just a fantastic record, and it really sits in a, in a great space in the discography. You recall making that record? What your what your goals making that record? Did it achieve said goals? Is that is that one that you uh, you think of highly in your discography? Yeah, I mean, I have really great memories recording it. I, that's I Elisa and I just moved up to Seattle. We were, we only lived there for a couple of years, but as soon as I moved up there, then yeah, I just hooked up with Randall Dunn, who is an engineer up there, produced a lot of stuff. And he was doing like a lot of the sleep records and he recorded all the sun records all the, up until that time where he was and he was son's front of house. And, and so I knew I wanted to do something a little like darker and heavier along those lines. And, and then he knew musicians in the area to bring those people in like Avon Kang and, um, and so it was a really fun collaborative sort of record. He had a lot of ideas and, 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 um, yeah, I had a good time recording that. Randall Dunn also it, in uh mastery musicians of Bukaki. Right? He, he was, he was. Yeah. And I took them on tour. Six organs took them on tour. Um, we all did a West coast tour when the record came out and it was a really fun time. All those guys are great. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And, and for me, that record, sits in a way that is i know other someone else that you've worked with that is uh, someone that we hold in very high regard here is of course david tibet and i i think of that luminous Art record where i could listen to that alongside current 93 alongside coil and so big question for us here and we want to talk about how you met David Tibet, how you end up working with David. Give us that history. Uh, let's see. Well, I was a fan of the band way yeah, before. Yeah. And so that was interesting. And then I think it was Keenan introduced us because Keenan did the book. Um, David Keenan. David Keenan. Yes, David mm -hmm. Keenan. And I had been talking with Keenan for some articles about Six Organs, and it came up that I was the current 93 fan. And he just sort of introduced us and just like, through email or something like that. And then David heard six organs and it's just very supportive. And then, you know, back at that time, to be honest, I, I had a tendency to get on the email after drinking a bit. And so I was probably a lot more open than usual, definitely right, yeah. more than now, <laughs> you know? So it's probably like, David, oh man, fuck dude, I love your band, you know? And yeah, I don't yeah. know, I mean, if he's flattered or whatever, I, I really think he's, I think, you know, I think a lot more people could be in current 93 um, that they don't know they could be in current 93. And he's just such a friendly guy. It's like, if you were nice to him, he's like, hey, join the band, which is kind of where I got a little bit of it from. Like, yeah, you're in a right. band. That's fine. He kind of has that style. I mean, some of the last shows I played with him, he had his Coptic teacher in a band playing guitar. You know, he's just like, hey, the guy had never played music live on stage. And hey, you're going to play, you know, he's just, Tibet's just a super friendly dude. So I had... Before I was in the band, I played a show, um, a series of shows with him in Toronto. 
where Tibet invited me out there and I opened up and then Cashmore was in a band and Cashmore is a big influence on my guitar playing. I've listened so much current 93. He's so melodic with his playing. He has those beautiful melodies. He's playing counterpoint. It's not straight. A lot of the American primitive stuff. So he's always influenced me. So I was as excited to meet Cashmore as Tibet. And like at the time, actually Stapleton was at the shows, even though Nurse with Wound wasn't playing. So meet all those characters. I was nervous as hell. And then first time I'm like, these guys are so, so friendly. It's amazing. Um, so that's how I met all of them. And, and do you I, remember about what year that is? This would like be roughly maybe 2004, I think okay. 2003 to 2004. And uh, I think those shows would kind of be some of the last shows Cashmore would play. And so I just kind of hit it off with those guys, never even imagining, um, you know, playing in a band. And then I opened up for Current Night 3 in Portugal and I wasn't really in the band, but kind of at last moment, Tibet was like, you want to play a little guitar? And I kind of knew some a couple of the songs. So I played and now they think back, that might've been a bit like, let's see if this, this guy can work out. Um, right. And that's kind of how it, that's kind of, that's kind of the big, you know, that's kind of how it all happened. And um, yeah, super fun. Really crazy. Were you also a fan of Nature and Organization or do you know him mostly from his current 93 work? Cashmore? I did like Nature and Organization. I mean, there were a few specific records he did, um, like of Ruin or Some Blazing Star, like particularly where the guitar oh, playing was just yeah. so beautiful, classical, melodic, and just so perfect um, that they were like very big um, influence on me. Yeah. But, you know, I'd still, you know, I mean, I'm still a Cashmore fan. He just came out with a crazy ass book. Did you see that? No. Yeah. It just, it was announced um, last week, I think. And it's about meditation and guitar playing and it looks super cool. Yeah. So okay. I still, still try to keep up with what he does. He's great. Yeah. There's a, there's a song on that. Uh, it's like a seven seals compilation. It's got a Louis Wayne painting on the cover yeah. called uh, To You. And it's it's a Nature and Organization track that's one of my absolute favorite songs. Like I, I can listen to it any damn time. I'm going to go uh, back and listen to that after this. I have that. So yeah, I'm, it's I'm got a, it's got like a answering machine call from Tiny Tim on it too, like an answering machine message oh, yeah. where he sings a song on it too, which is really, uh, really special to hear. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But when, when working with Kurt Anthony or working with Tibet, how much is communicated and how much is just inferred? I mean, recording, I only, I mean, I did a little stuff on a recent record, but just kind of, the, the, the only record I was really a big part of was the um, Black Shape State the Sky record. And I happened to be in London. I, I I'd finished a Comments on Fire tour and then he was in London recording and he said, come down and record. And, and so Cashmore's on that record too. So he's on songs and I'm on some songs and I just really, I mean, Tibet was just like, do whatever you want in the studio. And then I just kind of played some guitar. I had no idea what would happen. And then he just took those and kind of turned them into songs. Wow. And the recent record that you're a part of just so happens to be one of the three of ours absolute favorite, not only just current 93 records, but modern record, the, the light is leaving us all. And were you, did you, were you in person recording it or did no. you send your stuff? Yeah, that was, um, that was, that was, I was, I was in California and asked them what they wanted and stuff. And 
Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite records of theirs too. I mean, I play a very small part on that record, and hey, um, so any, and you're, anything I, is great with I, us. I only say that so that I can say that's one of my favorite records. You know, it's right? Like, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fucking sick, dude. Yeah, um, no, <laughs> I'm hardly on that record, and it's one of my favorite records too. I mean, yeah, it's a beautiful record. So, um, yeah, they just kind of played some of the. They sent me the songs, and I I played along with uh, some of the stuff. It was cool hey. to be back. You playing live in the band has also been released on the uh, How I Devoured Apocalypse Balloon double CD. Oh, right. I, I got to ask for a copy of that. Um, <laughs> no, I think I had, no, hey. yeah, I have, that was a great tour. So I toured with them as well after the Black Ships. Um, and yeah, one of the most fun tours I've ever been on in my life. Um, it was just so much fun. So yeah, it was cool. It was, it was, I had a good time. I had a good time playing with those guys. How is, is a set list for a tour? Is it fully, does Tibet basically make it? Does he talk with you guys about what you guys like playing or was it yeah, pretty much, did. this is the set. And he kind of says what he feels like doing, but actually, yeah, there's, a, I mean, in that band, there's a lot of, he talks to everybody and what they want to do and it's not tyrannical at all. I mean, he's, he's, it's, you're, it's a band. It's, it's really cool, which he definitely does not have to do. Um, so yeah, set lists were kind of, um, brought up. And at the time also, because I was a big, um, current 93, like that touring band had Julie Wood in the band. So super old school. So it was so cool yeah. to tour with Julie. I mean, you know, I mean, I listened to those records so much. Um, so yeah, that was a blast. That was really fun. Oh, that's so great. And, you know, we, we all got a chance to see a couple of years ago. He had a, an art show here. Oh, that's that right. Was mm -hmm. it was one of the craziest? Oh my God. We didn't want to leave. It yeah, was because we weren't even one hundred percent sure what it was going to be. And you walk in, and it's a lot of the new. It's it's a it's a lot of the new uh, at at the time because it was when the light is even us all the those paintings with the eye where he would yeah. white out the mm -hmm. eyes. And, yeah, yeah, and have those, and then you're sort of like, okay, yeah, this is great, cool. And then you walk a little bit more, and you're like, oh wait a minute, this room is all original lyric books and, and cover oh, cool. and you walk to this room and, and it's, it was, it just kept going. We couldn't believe. It just kept going. Yeah. Yeah, we, we almost thought like the one room was like, Oh, this, this is worth it. This is really yeah. cool. Oh, there's another room and another room and another room. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you, you know, it's, you're, you're not him. So you don't have the, all that, all the answers, but did, did you get any insight as to just his entire operating and how he works? Is it just, it, he just lives and breathes his art oh, yeah. and music. I would have to imagine just from being in, in around him, I'm sure you felt the same way. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, he's just such uh he's just of one piece. And every time I talk to him, every time I hang out with him, it's always interesting. He's always obsessed over something crazy, you know, but in a really cool way, it's cool to have a friend who you can write to about obscure shit that you don't really know about, but you kind of want to know about, you know, like weird Coptic stuff or Gnostic gospels or whatever. And he always, I mean, he'll just write back immediately, you know? Well, before I want to do, this is not going to come out very well since we're taking a look on the, on the podcast, but I want to oh, do a little yeah, show yeah, and yeah. tell oh, for because sure. it's not going to come out. But one of, one of the coolest, one of the coolest things about playing in current 93 were all the oh, sick wow. books that Tibet made that, you know, like on his yeah. Coptic cat, yes. you know, and which included like, the, the Nick Blinko oh, wow. short stories, Whoa. like like two copies Whoa. of the Nick Blinko short stories, <laughs> and then 
Dude, this is so sick. This Nick Blinko no, art. No. Did you guys ever see no. this? It's fucking insane. It's just, I don't even know if I can get it as close to the, I don't know if you can see any. There's probably, is yeah. that a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So, wow. you know, just like, wow. amazing. Nick Blinko art. This, this, and you know, he would just be like, here's a book. He'd just be sending these books and. Yeah, it was that was this one of the sweetest parts of of, of playing in a band. He's just so generous sending stuff. Mm-hmm. So anyway, show and tell time. Oh, you know what? Awesome. One more thing for show and tell. <laughs> check out, check out what I pulled out. Oh hell yeah! Wow. Yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, fuck, I it's love so this record 100%. so much. And then like. Maybe I might have mentioned this on the uh, Instagram or something, but did you guys ever hear the rumor that he was running Nux organization like he was living with his grandma and he was running when he was doing, is that true? I don't know if that's true. I, I, just don't, know. Rumor. Yeah, I don't know if that's true, true, but I do remember, I, I think he did idea, mention though. that. I love, and, and, yes. I, I, I hope it's true. I, you know what? That'd be it so rad. True. He's just spray yes. painting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is true. Yes, it, it's how, totally true. How, okay, anyway. How long was, time's that, over, but yeah. was the current 93 tour that you did? Um, the current 93 tour was maybe four right, weeks. So it was, it was a all full Europe. tour. Yes, it was a full tour and it was, it was, yeah, in Europe. Um, although I've never played London with current 93, so there weren't any UK shows, but, um, yeah, it was cool. It was really fun. Czech Republic and yeah, I mean, yeah, the fans were, you know, whole, whole different level of fans for yeah. that band, yeah. you know, it was cool. Well, yeah, I mean, like Gray, flew out to, Gray flew out to London to see the <laughs> Light is Leaving Us All show. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, yeah, it was so nice. And everyone's just, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, so I was with them maybe until, I think until I moved to Seattle. And then, I mean, I left the band just because it was very easy for Six Organs to get subsumed under Current 93, especially opening up for Current 93. And my ego probably couldn't, you know, I didn't, I was like, I don't want as much as I love current 93. I don't want six organs to be thought of as like a current 93 band or only existing because of current 93. And, you know, I, David totally understood, you know, and I, and, and also at the time I was living in San Francisco, I had a friend who lived in England and I was like, why don't you have him play guitar? Like mm-hmm. he's American, he can play guitar. Um, and then, so yeah, my friend Keith started playing guitar and then we always remained friends though, but yeah, I just didn't want to, um, I just needed my own like personality. Was for that at the time when Andrew WK so, was also in the band? My last show with current 93 was Andrew WK's first show with current 93. And I was at the Krems festival and because Andrew was friends with Matt Sweeney. And so, and a long story about Matt Sweeney was in a band on the tour that I did with current 93 and he kind of brought him in. And then that was the last show. It's kind of also, I realized maybe it was time to go. There were a lot of guitar players on stage. And also, once again, my ego is like, I don't really feel that needed. You know, like Stephen O'Malley was playing and uh, his Coptic teacher was playing. And he, I think we're like eight <laughs> guitar players. I'm like, this is awesome, but you don't need me. Come on. And so, yeah, so that was, that was Andrew's wow. first show with her. What a, what a crazy time. We're having, we, we have been, you know, I'm sure this will be edited around. So maybe, you know, the listeners aren't going to know, but we've been having some strange recording uh, issues uh, as we go on, especially as we're talking about some of this magical stuff. So Mm -hmm. uh, we should, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll probably start cruising to the, to the end here to avoid, avoid any full on disasters. Uh, But this is really, this has been really cool. And, and 
and you've been someone we wanted to talk to for a while because you know, as you know, you know, we 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 love exploring all the branches of this world that we are so in and, and something that we we the never tentacles stop thinking of. of noisy octopus exactly. the underground tunnels of A- the underground absolutely and and you know like we said earlier you, you yeah coming out around and, and especially be, be, us becoming aware of six organs at a time when we were so steeped in just full-on noise and and then having something like six organs in that world just started really branching out you know a lot of our taste and interest and stuff like that. And so it's just been awesome. It getting... balanced our lug nuts. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, there you go. So it's been awesome and awesome just seeing the progression of six organs from Dark Noontide to stuff like the Veiled Sea to the Hexotic stuff and now now to Sleep Tones. So it's it's a really cool trajectory that you've been on and continue to be on. You said you have a couple new things in the works coming out next year. What what style can we expect from those uh, records that'll be coming out in 2024? All right. I'll, yeah, I'll try to, you know, so the, at the beginning of the year, there will be a six organs record. That's pretty straight, not straight six organs, but I realize despite the lug nuts, every six years or so, the lug nuts go back to the same <laughs> lug nut. <laughs> and so it's sort of, Pretty classic acoustic centered sort of um, dark noon tightish sort of sort of vibe. And then in the middle of the year, I did a collaboration. Uh, it'll be a double LP coming out with a guy who is English, um, who collaborates a lot, and it's a little more on the electronic side, and that'll be fun. And then at the end of the year, I have somebody remixing the Companion Rises record, who we all know, and I don't know if you know that he remixed this yet. Okay. We don't you know, know him. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah. And I'm very, very excited and it sucks. I have to wait so long <laughs> before I could tell people, but that's almost like the one I'm so excited about it because it sounds bonkers. And, and then once you know, you'll, you'll be all, yeah, I can imagine that sounds bonkers. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty, that's, awesome. that's kind of what's up for next year. But yeah, really excited about it. Definitely psyched and, uh, excited for, Future Six Organ stuff. Excited to see you. Well, as I said, hey, we already saw you. Great show, except for that one super yep. embarrassing uh, screw. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Thanks. And excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, everyone, make sure to pick up the Sleep Tones LP on VDSQ and look out for more stuff coming soon. Ben, thank you so much. This was really cool. Seriously. Thank you. It's been so much fun. Thanks. You have been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 20 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.